Good morning, everyone. Whoa, that was loud. Let me try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I'm feeling pop color. No, I'm good. I'm good. Anyway, I hope that you, as was mentioned, that you'll stay for our potluck today. It's been a while since we've been able to do stuff like this, so you don't know what you got till it's gone. But it's back now, so we're all good. I hope that you will join us for that. Um, you know, we talk uh, a lot about uh, God's commands and uh, Jesus' uh, teachings and that's certainly a good thing to do. I knew I had a popped collar. Yeah. You, you should have given me the international sign for popped collar. Thank you. Um, but we're told um, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that we need to know God. Whoever does not love does not know God. John the beloved says. Um, so it would, I think the more we understand who God is, the more we know Him. And I think that's, that's always when you're in a love relationship, what you're trying to do is to know and be known. We're reading, we're going through Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about you are now you now know God, or more precisely, are known by Him. If you're going to have a relationship with someone else, you have to know them. It's one of those things. That's actually kind of one of the things that's good about us doing things like potlucks and you know, even our classes that we have and stuff like that, because you know, we, we're commanded to fellowship together. And when we fellowship together, we lift one another up and we get to know one another. So to know God, um, you have to listen to what God says about himself. That works with people too. If you want to know someone, you don't stand there and talk about yourself all day. If you want to know someone, you listen to what they're saying. Otherwise, you just the only thing you know about that person is that they're a good listener. So we listen to and we study a lot of things that God says about himself, but one of the things that kind of makes us a little uncomfortable, I think, is when my screen dies, is when we talk about the jealous God. All right. Not sure what's going on there. Let's take a look. I am broadcasting. All right, we'll have to put it on, see if we can start it over here, if that will help. Nope, we got nothing. That's all right, we continue without it. So, one of the things that God says about himself, and we're going to look at that today, is that he is a jealous God. So, what does it mean to be a jealous God? Matter of fact, famously, Oprah who's like a billionaire and apparently a guru now. We have to come to Oprah to learn true wisdom. 
I've seen things like that. I'm just like, I'm not even sure what that is. She's like, I couldn't believe in the God of the Bible because he says he's jealous. And I don't think anyone should be jealous. So I can't believe in that God. Okay, well, I hope you find a God more to your liking. But there is only one God creator of the universe. And he doesn't need for you to approve him or, as people do, misunderstand him. There we go. And think that they understand him when they don't. It looks like we're back in business. So let's try this again. That sound effect helped. All right, let's close this out. Let's try it again. Dramatic beginning. Hey, look at that. Oh, the sweep in, that's beautiful. Look at that. All right. So, um, it's a little bit weird to talk about the jealousy of God. So, what do we mean by jealousy? Well, we don't mean this kind of jealousy, you memesters. All right. We're not talking about that kind of jealousy. God's not like, oh, no, you look, you did, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Mm -mm. No, that's not. That's not who God is. I'm sorry, I don't know why I did that unnecessary zoom. That's not. So let's look at jealousy in the Old Testament. Jealousy is a difficult word because, again, there's not an exact translation from Hebrew into English. So you have to read everything God says, right? You can't just listen to one sentence someone says and say, you know what, I feel like I know them. Remember that one time when they said, it's like, okay, why don't you listen to everything they say? You know, there's a whole Bible full of things God says. So we can look at them in context. But making it a little easier, there are so many examples we can look at of the word jealousy used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, but let's just go over a couple things. There are 14 verses in the Old Testament where God says He is jealous. There are none in the New Testament. It does talk about other people being jealous. And there is a quote um, of the Old, the New Testament in the Old Testament, but there are 14 times God says, I am jealous, or describes himself as being jealous. Okay? Jealousy is different from enviousness. So when you say that God is jealous, it doesn't mean God envies someone else. God is not envious of anyone because God is God. He doesn't have any reason to be envious. Okay? Jealousy in the Old Testament always means in contention with. Meaning, I'm now at odds with, I'm now battling against another party. And we'll look at just one example of where that's used. It implies... I will strongly fight for what belongs to me. Okay? That's different than jealousy like, oh, were you, were you thinking about her? No. It does not mean irrational, overprotective, or controlling. And that's what people say of God. God's laws are irrational or overly protective or controlling. And of course, they're not any more than my commands for my children are protective. And because I know more than my kids do at this point. 
When they reach 18, they, or maybe 16, 17, they're going to know so much more than me, according to them. I know this is coming, but right now I can still convince them that I know more than they do and that they should really listen to me and do what I say so that they can be happy, healthy, safe people. Now, jealousy is more kind of like this. Not where you're looking at another woman, but where you're pretending to be with one woman and you're actually got something going on with another woman. While they're doing this in front of a replica of the tabernacle of God, I don't know. Maybe I got a little weird with Photoshop last night, but that's okay. Let's look at an example. <laughs> Let's look at an example of jealousy. Let's just skip past that slide. I don't know what's wrong with me exactly. But in Genesis chapter 37, there's an example of jealousy, and this is the same kind of jealousy God has, okay? It's the same word. It's the same word. I'm not saying this is exactly the kind of jealousy God has, but if we're talking about what does the word jealousy mean, here's an example that you may be able to understand. Genesis 37, verses 9 through 11. You guys know the story of Joseph and his amazing coat, and you may have even seen it recently. Where I don't see him this morning. Um, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers, the he being Joseph, and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this saying in mind. Now, why would you be jealous of someone who told you they had a dream that you were going to bow down to them? I wouldn't be jealous of them. I would just kind of think that they were nuts. Right? Okay, well, great dream, bro. That doesn't really affect me too much. I think you're just kind of crazy. But the, So the word jealous here isn't an exact one-for-one for, one for the English word jealous. It means... Now we're in a rivalry situation, and I'm going to win. That's what jealousy means. Meaning, if you're important to me, I'm not going to just let you go somewhere else. I hope parents are jealous with their children. Like, if your children want to spend Christmas with a family of someone that your kid knows from school, I hope that that's not just super okay with you, right? You want your children, if they're living in your house, you're going to spend Christmas with me. I'm your mother. I'm your father. I'm not your mother. I'm your father. She's your mother. Okay, you guys got that. Spend Christmas with me. I'm jealous. I don't want you spending the holidays with someone else. When your kid graduates from high school, and they get up, and, and if they're honored to give a speech, they say, I want to thank all my teachers, and they don't mention you at all. Okay, wait a minute. You know what? I'm jealous because I love being your dad, and I've done a lot for you as a father, and I'm not just willing to let you go. Does that make sense? There's, I have a rival and I'm going to fight against that rival. So that's what we're talking about here. There's a rivalry going on. And God says, if there's a rival, I'm not okay with rivals for the things that are mine. That's what he means by a jealous God. 
In other words, he cares about those whom he has chosen, just like I care about my wife, whom I have chosen and who chose me. And we made vows to each other, and I'm jealous, not if she looks at another man, but you know what? If she starts hanging out at somebody else's house at night, I'm going to be jealous. Because I'm her husband. I'm not going to just say, that's fine, whatever. I don't care what she does. No, I care because I love her, right? You see that? It's not the opposite of love. It is part of love. So, we need to understand that. One of the things um, that Fred talked about Christ's sacrifice this morning, if you really understand what God did and why, if you understand what Christ did and why, it will bring you to tears. Because it is beautiful. And if you don't, if you're like, well, I don't, I don't understand why he would be in tears, then you don't really understand. It's the most beautiful act that has taken place since creation. If you really understand the beauty and the depth of love in that sacrifice, it will bring you to tears. And that's why we need to understand where God is coming from so that we can understand His love for us and also what He expects for us and what He's going to do. So, here we go into Hosea. Hosea is not a, a big... Uh, a big book that preachers dive into too much. It's a bit weird. The, the background context is that um, we have the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are the invading army. They're like the, the Nazis in World War II. They just seem to crush everyone that they encounter. And they're moving farther and farther uh, to the southwest. Let's see, I have magic highlighter here. They're moving farther and farther down here. Um, they came from here, and they're just sweeping everything before them, and soon they're going to be threatening uh, God's people. Um, down here, we have Samaria, the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, and they're invading, and everybody's worried. What's going to happen? Because the Assyrians, oh, I did at that time. The Assyrians um, have a habit of doing really nasty things. I won't talk about them this morning because they're really, really disturbing. But destroying towns and stealing things and killing people are some of the nicer things that the Assyrians did. The level of evil that they had is almost beyond comprehension. And I'm not going to talk about it this morning. But suffice it to say that if anybody had any reason to be worried, the people in the path of the Assyrian armies had something to be worried about, and that includes God's people. And of course, God, uh, we were studying in our uh, young professionals class this morning that uh, God always promised to protect them. You don't even have to keep uh, troops around. You don't have to build chariots or anything. Don't worry about it. I've got you covered. And yet we find again and again God's people, whoops, God's people worshiping Baal and Asherah over and over again. God is their God, but for some reason, they just really enjoy worshiping Baal and Asherah. 
And it makes them feel good. They're praying to Asherah and they're saying, please, Asherah, bring us good luck and fortune and Baal. Bring us a good harvest. And one of the things, and this is still true about pagan celebrations today, one of the big attractions is the ritual uh, orgies that they had. This is why people don't talk about Hosea a whole lot, because it's kind of adultish stuff, but um, you can handle it. Um, and we're just going to be reading from the Bible. They had ritual orgies, and that was a big attraction. So there's two facets here. There's the intimate relationship God has with His people. We are the bride of Christ, right? God has an intimate relationship with His people, and they're going to these other gods. Having literally intimate relations with people that they're not married to. So they're, they're making a mockery of the intimacy that God has with His people as they make a mockery of the intimacy between a man and a wife. They're throwing all those things to the wolves. They're taking something beautiful and tossing it into the mud and the filth. And so Hosea is a story about one of God's prophets where God tells him, I want you to marry a prostitute. Which is a weird thing for God to command, but God did. It's one of those things, often it's hard to get people to understand something you're trying to tell them. You tell them over and over again. And until you can give them an example that they can relate to, or example in this case that would shock, why would he marry a prostitute? Well, God was showing them that example to shock them, to show them what they were doing to Him. So let's read in Hosea chapter 2. Starting in verse 2. This is what God says. Plead with your mother. Plead. Because she's not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from my face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. This is fun stuff, isn't it? Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. Verse 7. She shall pursue her lovers and not overtake them, and she shall seek them but not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than it is now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for the bale. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, 
and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. Verse 11, and I will put an end to all of her partying, her mirth, her feasts, her new moon celebrations, her Sabbath celebrations, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given to me. I'll make them a forest, a forest, and the beasts of the fields shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot about me, declares the Lord. Well, that was fun. Let me ask you this. Think about your life. Think about all the good things in your life. Think about them. Are there people that are precious to you? Are there things in your life that you're glad to have? Are there situations that you find yourself in that you enjoy? Where did all the good things in your life come from? As a matter of fact, we often leave here and go home to enjoy the good things that we have to enjoy, right? Like watching the Indy 500, which I've heard people don't care about. You're from Indiana, sir. You will care about the Indy 500. Thank you. But we go home, and it's like, you know what? I really can't be at church because I've got this thing. Oh, you've got a thing, have you? How did that thing come about? You know, I'd love to come to church tonight, but I'd really rather just stay home and enjoy Whatever it is, I'm staying home to enjoy. Really? So then, what are the important things in your life? What are the things that are, that are deal breakers? No, I'm sorry, I just can't skip that, right? I can't skip that, because that's important. You know what, though? If God has something for me to do or somewhere for me to be, that's kind of, you know... It's the same thing. And again, let me say this in case somebody comes to me afterward. Don't don't think. uh, I'm not saying anybody being here at any time has to be here. You know what? I don't know. Honestly, I don't care. (laughs) To a degree, that's I'm not preaching to any particular person, nor do I think about it. I'm just reading God's word. So let me ask you, though, when you're enjoying all those things in your life, where is it exactly you think they came from? Where do you think those things came from? They came from your work. They came from the world. They came because you're so handsome, so beautiful, so smart, 
so savvy? Is that why you have those things? Is that really, is that where those things came from? Is that what you think? You think because you're listening to the people in the world that that's why you have the things that you have? No, every good thing you have comes from the Lord. And if you think something else, I can predict for you what God is going to do, just as He said He was going to do to Israel. And He did it to Israel. Not because He's an angry God. Not because He's an irrational God, but because I have loved you. God says, I have loved you. I've given you my heart. I've invested myself into you, and now you're going to take the things I gave you and go over here and say, oh, I have these good things because of this over here. Okay. I don't want you to be in pain, but I do want you back. So I'm going to take these things away from you. I'm going to make your life a devastation. Because I'm angry? No. But to bring you back. Let's read verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, the valley of misfortune, a gate of hope. I will turn misfortune into hope. And there she'll answer like she did when she was young. As at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Back when things were good between us and she knew. And we were close. Verse 16, And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. Because I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make it, I will make you lie down in safety. I'll provide safety in which you can rest. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. I pray that God never stops being jealous with me. If God no longer cares enough to take away the vineyards and the fields and the safety, then that means He's given up on me. But if God loves me, He's going to expect me to understand 
where all the jewelry He's given me, all the peace and the rest, all the, the bountiful harvest, all the good things I have in my life come from Him. And God's jealous because He wants to give you good things. He wants to adorn you. He wants you to be satisfied and safe. He wants to love you. And the only thing He wants back is for you to love Him back. And so I ask you, are you loving God back? Or do you think all these things in your life came from other places? You think they came to you because of the really smart people who taught you things? Do you think they came to you because of you're, you're just so witty or because you have the right friends or because you say the right things or because you go to the right parties or whatever it is you think it is? Let's enjoy all the things God has given us to enjoy. Amen? And let's thank God for them and know that it is from God that they come. Amen? Let's love God even 1% to start with as much as He loves us. God loves you. He wants to adorn you. He wants to prosper you. But he's jealous. Who does your heart belong to? What are the unskippable things in your life? When it comes down to, I have to make a decision between something I can do for God or something I can do for school or for work or for entertainment or for friends, which one wins? Which one wins? If anything wins besides God, well, again, that's something for you and God to pray about or for you to pray to God about so that you can know Him and know what it is He wants you to do. If you want to know God this morning, there's always an invitation for you to be baptized into Christ so that you can be the bride of Christ, so that you can be loved. And the ultimate rest God gives us is the rest when we leave this earth and we enter into the eternal rest. If you'd like to be baptized this morning, or if you need the prayers of the church, if you have a praise that you'd like to share, if you need prayers to get through this thing called life, we are all here to carry one another's burdens as we study on Wednesday night. Would you please come forward while we stand and we sing this song?